So it's just great to be together this morning, and um, uh, I'm Pastor Dallas, if you don't know that already, and um, just uh, wonderful to, to, to worship together, and those who are watching on online, we welcome you to uh, a part of our, our gathering this morning. Arrogance. What comes to mind when you hear that word Arrogance. Or maybe more importantly, who comes to mind when you hear that word arrogance? Who, who is it that, that, that pops into your head? Arrogance is that, that offensive display of superiority, you know, that, that self-importance, that overbearing pride. You know, I ask myself, who do I know that I consider arrogant? And honestly, I had a hard time. I had a hard time coming up with with somebody. And strangely, a a couple of uh, people that that popped into my head were actually involved in the medical profession. (laughs) So I don't mean to pick on you, but I'm going to. Uh, One was an anesthesiologist who, uh, you know, was my anesthesiologist for my first uh, uh, hernia repair surgery. And and I was just like, wow, this guy is into himself. you know, the other guy uh, was another surgeon who, who was consulting on an emergency uh, surgery with my mom. And um, I just like, uh, you know, I, you, you, I don't usually rub shoulders with people like that. And so it was like right in, right in my face. Who, who comes to your mind when you think of that word arrogant? I suspect maybe many of you are like me. You have a difficult time coming up with a, a, a picture in your head. Well, why is that? Why do we have a difficult time? Well, I think we have a difficult time is because when we're faced with that, uh, we run into somebody who's really arrogant. We run the other way. You know, that's what I do. It's like, well, I don't want anything to do with you, you know, except if you're a surgeon and I need surgery. You know, if, if, if you have a choice between somebody who's arrogant or another surgeon who's saying, you know what, I, I've, I've never really done this surgery before. Um, you know, I've, I've watched it being done. I, I, I'm pretty sure I know what I'm doing, but hey, how about we give it a go and see how it turns out? You know, you just like, uh, give me the arrogant one, please. You know, <laughs> sign, bring him over here. I want to talk to him instead. Um, it's, it's really easy to spot egotistical people, isn't it? The most obvious is, is someone we would label as a narcissist. You know, the, the people who are absolutely convinced they are God's gift to humanity. You know, they, they are absolutely convinced. Kerry Newhoff says people like this, they demand to be the center of attention. They dominate conversations. They interrupt people. They think they're better. They have to stay on top at all costs. They can't celebrate the success of others. And they always have an excuse if they're not first. Run into people like that? You know, if that describes you this morning, this message really isn't for you. And like in all seriousness, if if any of those things really touch home, um, you need to reach out for help, like professional help. But uh, it, this message isn't for you. For most of us, we're not egomaniacs, you know? Um, you probably wouldn't be taking the time to listen to me this morning if you, if you are. 
But most of us also don't see ourselves as, as proud. It's, it's easy to spot pride in other people. But pride is actually a thief that continually crouches at the door of our lives looking for a way to break in. And very few of us, if any, escape this struggle with pride. In fact, I've wrestled with my preparation for this message. (laughs) It's been a struggle because I don't have to dig very deep to uncover pride right here in my own life. Pride at its heart is an obsession with self. Okay, very simple definition. Pride at its heart is an obsession with self. So if you take narcissism off the table, like just set that aside, don't throw it into the mix at all. Pride in itself is a beast that wears many different masks. It comes at us, it's a thief that is subtle and sly in its attempt to influence, uh, to have influence within us. And nobody intentionally throws the door wide open to let pride in, but somehow, accidentally, it gets in there. And we're in this series, accidentally, sometimes on purpose, and and in many ways, pride has a role to play in every area we've touched so far. If you think about it, it, it will lead you, pride will lead you to cynicism. Pride will accelerate burnout. People around you will, will disconnect. They, they won't want to have anything to do with you. And, and pride will tempt you to compromise. You say, well, Dallas, <laughs> I don't think I'm all that. You know, Ryan rubbed the, the smudges off the mirror and figured out that he's not as handsome as he thought he was, you know. In fact, you may be thinking, I don't think I'm all that. In fact, I don't think I'm very great at all. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I, if I were to peg myself on a pride scale with 10 being, you know, narcissism, I, I'd probably peg myself at a two, <laughs> you know? And I'm, I, I think most of us would be in that end of things. But the reality is, is it's not how we view ourselves that defines pride. It's how much we are obsessed with ourselves. It's not how we, how we view ourselves that defines pride. It's, it's how much we are obsessed with ourselves. Do you ever feel that you just don't measure up? And insecurity can become a fuel that leads to obsession with self. And it certainly has in, in, in my life. I, I always thought I had a highly developed sense of discernment when it came to people who, who I deemed arrogant. You know, I've, my, my flag went up and it's like, oh yeah, they're all into themselves. And looking back, most of the people that I had, had pegged that way were just confident. But their confidence seemed to highlight my own insecurity. 
I'll give you an example. As, as a pastor, one of the, one of the things you do um, and privilege to do is, is you get to attend conferences, pastors' conferences. And, and you know, especially at the start when I, when I started going uh, to them, I, I was actually almost crippled with anxiety as I went to these things. And these conferences would, of course, always involve one or more guest speakers. And of course, at a conference, they're only going to ask a speaker to come who, who has something to offer, you know, who has something to, to give and to pour into other leaders. And so I would sit there and I would view them as super pastors. But you notice the subtlety there? I... I would view them as super pastors. And some of them would be pastoring churches of 5,000 people in exotic places like Hawaii or something like that, you know. And, and there I would be, in, instead of learning and listening to what the Holy Spirit wanted to teach me, I would spend my time and energy comparing myself to them. I would never measure up. I could never measure up. You know, here I was pastoring a church of 50 in a, in a small prairie town of 5,000 people in the town. Never mind 5,000 people in a church, you know? And the crazy thing is that I viewed myself as humble. and especially comparing myself to those super pastors. I can see my own pride. What are we saying pride is? Obsession with ourselves. Obsession with ourselves. I, I was insecure. It, it caused me to get caught up in this comparison trap, and, and I would listen to them speak and, and realize I could never speak like them. I go back to my church and try. <laughs> and sometimes it would go well and I'd soar. I'd have a great Sunday afternoon. <laughs> but most of the time I'd crash and burn and have a lousy Sunday afternoon and even worse Monday. I couldn't rejoice with other people because it always came back to me and what I lacked. I wanted to be them, but knew I couldn't. It, it makes it difficult, if not impossible, to, to be a team player. Have other people around you. And you know what? In order to prevent myself from, from spir spiraling down into anxiety and depression, I would isolate myself with a goal of trying to control at least what I could around me. What are you hearing as you, as you hear my story, as I'm telling my story? What are you hearing? What are you hearing? It revolved around me and my insecurity. I thought I was so humble, but the the beast of pride in my life was just this false mask of what appeared to be humility. The mask that I saw. 
I wasn't even aware of. Looking in the mirror, thinking that was who I was. What about you? What does your insecurity look like? And just reflect on these questions. Do you compare yourself to others? Do you tether your performance to how many compliments or criticisms you receive? Does someone else's success highlight your failure? Do you isolate yourselves from others, yourself from others? Do you try and keep your hand on everything happening around you so your insecurity isn't exposed? Pride is obsession with self. And regardless of of what mask the beast of pride wears in your life, regardless of what it looks like to yourself or others, insecurity will fuel that obsession with self. Pride pride that's not addressed, if if it's just tried to ignore it or, or... put in the corner or you say, you know what, I know it's there, I'm not going to deal with it. Eventually it's going to harden your heart. And in twisted ways, it will bring destruction into your life. It will drive a wedge between you and others. It'll drive a wedge between you and God. And the fruit of a a hardened heart is a, a twisted sense of superiority. Check. Judgmental of others. Yep, done that. A sense of not being accountable. Yeah, don't want to be accountable. Afraid of what they'll, they'll point out. Unteachable. Check. Yep. I'm too focused on myself to to receive from you. And it often leads to isolation. Check. A hardened heart takes you down this road. And ironically, the the very outcome you're looking for, the the very thing that your heart is craving, impressing others so that you're likable is the very wedge that drives others away. This stuff isn't new to the human condition. We could walk through the Bible very easily, all the way down through history, John of the Cross, and you know, 500 years ago, uh, in his list of seven deadly spiritual imperfections that must be purified, pride is number one. And he says this, if there is pride, people have a tendency to condemn others, become impatient with their faults. They're very selective in who can teach them. Wow. You read my list. I read his. <laughs> 500 years ago. I warned you this wouldn't be easy this morning, right? 
I gave you a glimpse at how much even preparing this is. But I want to tell you this morning there's hope. If you want to stay trapped in insecurity and self-focus, I want to tell you, stay away from Jesus. (laughs) Don't let him near you because you see, Jesus loves you so much that he wants to prevent you from going down this road of destruction. He loves you so much, and in his incredible love for you, he will expose your heart. He will expose those things within you that are taking you down that road. He will confront the pride, and he'll let you see how you view yourself. And he will go after that. If you let him in, the problem is, it's, it's painful. <laughs> it hurts. Oswald Chamber wrote, we will suffer a sharp, painful disillusionment before we fully surrender. When people really see themselves as the Lord sees them, it is not the terrible, offensive sins of the flesh that shock them but the awful nature of the pride of their own hearts opposing Jesus Christ. Each of us has to face the reality of how we view ourselves how we try and prop ourselves up so we look good, if not to others, at least to ourselves. But Jesus knows there is a person of value that he has created underneath all of those facades of the empty image of what we're trying to hold up. Jesus knows who you are under there, and he loves who you are and the reality of who you are. And he wants to fill you with the truth of who you are. And out of that place of wholeness, we receive his life, and the life that he has begin to flow in us and through us. How how do we get there? I don't want to oversimplify this, um, but let's just look at one area. First Peter chapter five. There's just some really pointed sentences in here, starting halfway through verse five. It says, "All of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." That's a quote from, the, from Proverbs. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. He cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Did you know that was the context of that verse? Satan knows all about pride. And he uses it against us, and if he has an opportunity, he's going to jump all over it. Stay alert. Watch out. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. So what's our job here? What's our job in this? Humble ourselves, right? That's, that's our role. That's what we do. We humble ourselves, and what's God's job? His job is to lift us up. So it's, it's, it's not easy, but what do you think happens if we mix up our jobs? Then the previous quote comes into play, I think. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's not easy, but I think it's a lot easier, a lot better to humble ourselves rather than let God do the humbling, isn't it? But again, he loves us enough that he's not just going to let us go down that road that will bring destruction in our lives. Joseph, king of, of dreams, great animated film from 20 years ago, <laughs> um, but also one of the most amazing stories, one of the most amazing lives that are in the Bible and actually dominates the last part of the first book of the Bible of Genesis. And I'm just revisiting it in my personal devotion and you know what, as I look at the life of Joseph, there seems to be a lot of naive pride in his life to begin with. He's, he's 17 years old, and he's a tattletale to his dad about what all his older brothers and all the stuff they're doing, all the, all the bad things they're doing. He's 17 years old, and he's a tattletale. Like, not four, not five, 17. And later on, we, we, we find out that uh, he's described as, as a very handsome and well-built young man. So he, he's got the looks. He's got the thing going for him. I, I mean, Jacob, his father, didn't do him any favors when he uh, uh, you know, bought this ex- expensive coat of many colors that, that he gave to him. But you know what? Uh, Joseph... Uh, probably didn't do any, himself any favors wearing that thing, you know? He, he was gifted. God, God would communicate to him through dreams, amazing dreams, dreams that he wanted to make sure everybody heard about, you know? And I just get this, this, this impression that, that he's taking these dreams and... and um, He's kind of using them to rub, the, rub in the face of his brothers. He had a lot going for him. He's, he's good looking. He's, he's gifted. He's got daddy's favor, you know. But the, the, the fruit of pride is there in his life. None of his brothers wanted to be around him. In fact, they hated him. 
And when Joseph would, would tell of his dreams and the response that he got, um, it just points to the fact that, that uh, you know, Joseph, it was all about him. Look at, look at what God showed me last night, you know? Let me tell you. The disadvantage we have in, in looking at the story is that we know how it ends up. But if you can just kind of, best you can, block out the ending for a minute. <laughs> Joseph didn't know where it was going. His brothers certainly didn't know where it was going. And most of, most of, of, of them wanted Joseph dead. And when they had the opportunity, they were going to take it. But instead, his oldest brother intervened. And then the opportunity came to sell Joseph into slavery. And all of a sudden he goes from, you know, top dog in his home. And he's humbled. He ends up on this slave trading block in Egypt. Potiphar buys him. And the Bible says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. So he's a slave, he gets bought by Potiphar, but in the midst of that, God is raising him up. Yeah, Joseph prospered, but the fact is he's still a slave, you know? He's still a slave. And then you know what happened? He, he was falsely accused, and he's thrown into a 17th century before Christ Egyptian prison. He's further humbled. Now he's not just a slave, but he's an imprisoned slave. But again, the Bible says the Lord was with him. God was raising him up. Even in this, this prison, Joseph prospered but he's still a prisoner in an ancient Egyptian prison. And some say that, that he, he was in that prison for, for up to 10 years. But in one providential day, he went from imprisoned slavery to second in command in the ancient Egyptian kingdom. God raised him from the bottom to the top in one day. But at this point, Joseph continued to be the man he became by serving Pharaoh, by serving the Egyptian people. God raised him up and he used Joseph to save the world from starvation at that time. The years of slavery and imprisonment were the pestle on the mortar of his life that was used to pulverize the pride and prepare him for what God wanted him to do in saving the world. You too are gifted. God's gifted you. God wants you to use your gift to be a blessing to others. But too often your pride 
fueled by your insecurity gets in the way. You either sit on your gift or you flaunt it to try and prop up your image and self-worth. Many of us want to be the second in command in, in the mighty kingdom, but none of us want to go through the pain of pulverizing our pride to prepare us for that moment. This is your battle with pride. And you know what? The more public your gift is, the greater the battle. The young church in, in the Greek city of Corinth uh, began to discover the amazing gifts of the Holy Spirit. It was brand new to them, and there was excitement, there was amazing, crazy things going on. But you know what? There was also so much pride in the midst of it that it just started to cause havoc in the church and bring destruction. And we get a glimpse of what was going on because a spiritual father named Paul wrote a couple of letters. <laughs> and you see in those letters that he's trying to point this out time and time again of what's going on. He's trying to expose the heart of what is happening in this church. And one of the things he says in, in chapter eight of his first letter, he says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. You see, the Holy Spirit may, may come with his gifts and and. and by those gifts, he may reveal things to you. He may uh, uh, give you some, some insight and some, some knowledge into some things. But that doesn't automatically mean that you should share it. He may give you dreams, and, but if you're not winning the battle with pride, if you're trying to derive a sense of value or self-worth from your gifting or from your dreams or from whatever gift that happens that the Holy Spirit gives you, what is meant to bring life will actually bring death and destruction. Gifts are gifts. <laughs> You don't earn gifts, do you? They're given to you. Holy Spirit gifts are given to you, and he's given each and every one of us gifts. We didn't earn them. We don't deserve them. But we receive them. Not because we've arrived at a, at a certain spiritual level. Not because we're all that. Because these gifts come from the Spirit, they're given to us. We can't derive our sense of value because of our gifting. Like what Tony uh, Stolfus teaches, um, he, he, I'm taking a, a, a coaching, a leadership coaching class right now with, with Pastor Ryan and um, he, he, uh, he teaches leadership coaching from a, a Christian perspective. And at the time of writing his book, he tells of a, a sleep disorder that he struggled with for, for 10 years. 
and he's tried everything from prayer to doctors to natural remedies, absolutely everything you can think of he's tried, and nothing, absolutely nothing has worked. Um, and in his struggle with, with always being tired, he discovered the grace of God in the midst of it. And in order to kind of foster authenticity in, in a group of people he's instructing, he often tells this story of this struggle. And he says, inevitably, someone comes up to him at the end and tells him if he would just do what worked for them, he would find relief. Now, just step back a second and, and think about that. Here's a man who has tried everything for 10 years. Nothing's worked, but he's at peace with it because he's discovered the grace of God in the midst of it. And somebody comes up and has diagnosed in two minutes the solution to his problem. Whew. Blinded by their own pride. The knowledge of solutions blinded these people to the pride in diagnosing the problem in another person's life. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. Thankfully, the verse goes on. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. How can you tell if you're using your gift out of pride or out of love? Well, just look at the fruit. Look at what happens. Are other people built up? Are other people healed and, and set free? Or when they see you coming, do they turn and run the other way? Matthew chapter 7 and Jesus uses an, an illustration where he speaks of a speck in the eye and he speaks of a log in the eye. And um, there, there's a bunch of people walking around with, with specks in their eyes. And Jesus wants to use others. Jesus wants to use you to help get those specks out of other people's eyes. But he says the problem is that unless you deal with the log of pride in your own life, you're not going to be able to see clear enough to help somebody else out. Unless that log of pride is removed, you can't truly love the person with the speck in their eye. You can't truly come to their help out of love unless you win the battle against pride. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Our job is to humble ourselves. His job is to raise us up. Raise us up. Humility stays only if you invite it. Even more than that, you need to submit to it. Crave it, hone it, develop it, nurture it. Go after it. So how do we do that? 
how do we, how do we cultivate humility in our life? And I'm just going to give you uh, several quick things here. First of all, express gratitude. Express gratitude. In, you know, in our, in our culture today, where you and I live right now, there's this subtle idea that, that seeks to anchor itself in our minds. And it's constant. And it, it's the idea that what we have, we've earned. And maybe we even deserve But I want to ask us this morning, and we sang that song, love the song. Who, who gave you your breath? Who gave you your life? Who gave you life? Why are you alive today? Why are you here today? Where did your life come from? And who gives you breath that you're here today and you're alive today? The, the very breath that I breathe is a gift. It's your breath in my lungs. So what am I going to do with the breath in my lung? I'm going to pour out my praise. I'm going to give gratitude. I'm going to live a life of gratitude. I'm going to be so thankful for every breath that I breathe. I'm going to be so thankful for everything that has been given to me. Gratitude absolutely needs to be intentional. We need to be, be focused on it. Gratitude fosters humility because it moves you out of the role of the star in your own story. As Kerry Newhoff said that, he said, gratitude fosters humility because it moves you out of the role of the star of your story. You know, when Joseph was reunited with his brothers, the very ones who sold him into slavery, he tells them five times that it wasn't them. It wasn't them. It was God who sent him to Egypt ahead of them. Five times in the matter of a few verses, Joseph reassures his brother, tells his brother that it was God. It was God. It was God. Express gratitude. Express gratitude. Secondly, uh, orient toward service. Orientate toward service. Is your default with others that they should do stuff for you? Or is your default is what can I do for others? How can, how can I serve you intentionally look for those opportunities if you're married to serve your spouse or, 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 or serve your, your parents or serve your children, serve your neighbor. You can always go lower. You can always, you can always serve. Again, what's your part? What's our part? Humble ourselves. What's God's part? He'll lift us up. In his time, he will lift us up. And I'm sure in the darkness of that ancient Egyptian prison, Joseph had many doubts. But whether he was a slave, a prisoner, or the second in command in Egypt, he served. He served. 
serve. Serve, orientate towards service. Embrace generosity. Embrace generosity as God raises you up, as he blesses you, share with others. Give, give it away. And again, Joseph shared his abundance with his family. He didn't have to. He didn't have to reveal himself. He didn't have to expose himself. He could have said, tough. (laughs) You did that to me? Go try and figure out the famine yourself. But he didn't. The abundance of what God had blessed him with, he freely gave and, and shared with his family. Embrace generosity. Take notes. Learn from anywhere, anyone, anywhere, anytime. Learn any, from anyone, anywhere, at any time. Don't just take notes when, when, there's, when you're sitting in the presence of somebody who's brilliant. Take notes all the time from anyone, anywhere. And you know what? You see in, in Joseph's life that, that he took notes, maybe not literal notes, but he took notes. Because of what you see in his life, he took notes throughout his slavery, throughout his imprisonment, and demonstrated that when he became ruler in Egypt. Redirect the spotlight. If there's an opportunity, push others into the spotlight ahead of you. Rejoice in their success. Rejoice in their success. And you know what, Joseph, in the end, he he brings five of his brothers and his dad to meet Pharaoh. Amazing. He wanted his family to be seen. He wanted Pharaoh to see his family sharing the spotlight, pushing others ahead. Redirect that spotlight. And I want to close with this. Get brutally honest with yourself and God. It's impossible for you to see the pride in your own heart, the log in your own eye. But if you ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart, he will. He will. If you're brutally honest, and when you see it, it's going to be painful at times. It's going to be painful. But don't run and hide. Don't run and hide. God already knows it's there. He already knows. He's not surprised. He already knows. He's just waiting for us to acknowledge it. Admit it to him. Be brutally honest with yourself and God. Can I ask you to stand? If you're able and I just want to take a few moments. George, if, if you wouldn't mind just coming to the piano. I'm not going to take a lot of time to do this, but you're walking, if you do this, if you get brutally honest with yourself and God, you, you start to walk down a path of freedom. Your focus gets off of yourself. Who does God say you are? 
You see, the answer to that question cuts off our insecurity. Who does God say you are? Who does God say you are? And it's not the correct answer that brings you freedom. It's not the knowledge. Oh yeah, I know Jesus loves me. I know God loves me. It's not the knowledge that brings you freedom. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It's us not just knowing, but receiving. Receiving that love, experiencing the love of God. And I can't wave a magic wand, I can't make this happen, but I know that if you're honest, if you're brutally honest with God, you go before God, God loves you so much, he's so faithful, he will, he will call out who you are, he will expose the real you. He'll peel back the layers of, of, of that ugly pride, he'll peel back that self-focus, and he'll expose to you the gem that's buried in the dirt because he put that gem in there. And when he calls it out, it becomes this powerful force within you that you can anchor on, that, that you find out you don't, you don't have to compare yourself to other people anymore because you know what the most important, the only one that matters thinks of you. <laughs> You already, you already know what is in the heart of your creator God, your Abba Father. You know what he thinks of you. And it becomes this, this strength within you. And you realize you're no better or worse than anyone else. But your value and your confidence comes from the incredible love that God has for you. And, and freedom really means you, you, you no longer need to compare yourself to others. You don't need to judge others. You don't need to fear accountability. You can learn from your father through anyone. And you can be real with those around you. Can we just take a moment? And just whatever it is, just in this moment, just take a moment and can you just be real honest before God? God, I know that in your time you raise us up. Help us to trust you. God, would you show me how I view myself? And then would you show me how you view me? And let me in on your view of me, your heart for me, your love for me.
It's a process. Took Joseph many years. But if you set your heart after these things in intentionality, allow yourself to be honest before God, even before other people. That identity of what God has placed within you, the value of what you have, love will build within you. Love will build you. And the life and the freedom that you can experience and walk in is yours in the Spirit. This morning, if you're here, you know, one of the great ways to, to <laughs> be humble is to ask for help. We do that with God, but we can do that with our brothers and sisters. And we always have a prayer team uh, ready to go who would love to pray with you. And these aren't superstars. These aren't people who have it all together and whatever. They're just there to, to facilitate coming together before God is the answer. And the one who will reveal his heart to you and come meet with you. So I encourage you to do that. Take some time. And, uh, and just be honest and, and real before God in prayer. We'd love to, love to join you with that. And um, otherwise, can you encourage somebody today? Go grab a cup of coffee, spend some time, build one another up. Love builds up. Love builds up. Go and love one another over a cup of coffee. God bless you.